Welcome to the Golf Barons Podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical telling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. And we're back again for the most aptly named podcast going around, Tenuous Links. And it is a joy to be back, Damo. How are you going? Great to have you, mate. Great to have you. Good to be here. No, it is really good to be here and talking about the game that we, in general, love. Yeah, we absolutely, we do generally love things, but that's why we're going to kick off with something that you hate this week. Rip the Band-Aid off, Damo. We're going to rip the Band-Aid off. My hate is a pet hate this week, and mine is all around the heightest rules that exist in the game of golf. Um, and mainly referring to this new, the new dropping rule. And, you know, the shoulder height was arguably hightest anyway because my shoulders are a fraction taller than yours by about four feet. My legs are a fraction also taller than yours. Your legs this, are the problem. This <laughs> knee height drop, I don't understand why we can't just have a drop from um, a club height or drop from a foot or... Why don't we just place the ball? Or just place the ball. Can we just cut to the chase, place the ball, speed it up so that... Because people are now, and we see this all the time, even when they're dropping from knee height, again, which is a disadvantage for for a Gumby like myself, everyone is spending a lot of time trying to come up with the perfect drop to get the ball on the perfect lie. So let's cut to the chase, place the ball. I don't care whether you're in a bunker or anywhere, place the ball, hurry up, get it down on the ground, place the ball so we can move on and concentrate on hitting the next shot badly. And surely if you're being penalised for something that you've done wrong on the course, placing it is, you've taken the hit already, so why not just place it and we can get me, I'm 100% with you on this. Just place the ball. What about you, Damien? Is there anything that you hate in particular? Something I hate, and I've hated this for a long time. You've heard me prattle on about this ad nauseum. I hate being told what clubs we should be using based on your handicap. You do hate that. I I can attest to the fact you do hate that a lot. It is absolutely, it's a farce as far as I'm concerned. It's unintelligent to say that someone who's off 15, for example, can't hit an iron as good as someone who's off six or eight. Because the problem is they might just not be able to putt. And yes, I know you're going to get stuck into me about my inability to putt. That's the probably proving my point. But it's an interesting, it is an interesting point in that you, even from a very basic, um, be it at retail or be it online, in terms of fitting uh, systems or questionnaires, the initial question that is often asked, other than hand, gender, which is confusing in itself. Ouch. And um, and then it's handicap. And in reality, handicap gives you such a tiny part of the story. It's almost it's almost irrelevant. That it is almost irrelevant. In fact, there's no question it's more irrelevant. And irrelevant. And I've seen you use clubs designed for uh, hashtag really good players, low markers, zero handicappers, or five markers. You hit them better than clubs that are in theory designed for you. And, and based on handicap, yeah. Based on, yeah, sorry, based on handicap. Uh, and therefore that handicap measure, I won't quite say it's a joke, but I think everyone's grown up enough to move on from it. I will say it's a joke. I think it's silly. I think it's lazy. I think it's a lazy way to fit people. There you go. Said it. Wow. But it drifts me it's into in what mood. I love. Yes, let's go on it because I think it's time to get the positivity fact. What do you love, Damien? I love using what I like. Who would have thought? <laughs> now, what I mean by that is, you know, I absolutely love playing with blades. Yeah. I, know there's, I know there's a small percentage of people who do. I get that. But I grew up on them and I absolutely love them. Um, there's nothing not to like about them as far as I'm concerned. 
And you hit them better. I hit them better. So, I mean, that's the concerning thing, is that is that you actually hit them better. There's nothing in any science or any marketing textbook that says, oh, yeah, that's a good match, except when you're actually hitting balls, you hit them better. And you hit them better on course, forgetting even driving ranges or otherwise. There's something that is in your And it just brain. says that it's above the shoulders where all my problems are. <laughs> anyway, that's what I love. I think we should be playing what we like because we're here to enjoy the game and, and play with what we want. But what about you? Is there something that's... Um, that's pounding your heart this Absolutely. week. Absolutely. You know, you talk about we're here to enjoy the game. Um, the passion of new players is unbelievable. When you watch someone that is relatively new to the game but has decided that this is the game for them, their eyes light up the way our eyes used to light up when we talk about golf. And I think it's a reminder about how much we we did love the game growing up and how much we need to continue to love the game and grow, and grow our involvement in the game and the game itself. But you watch them you know, be buying gear or using new gear or the pride of hitting a shot um, that they haven't hit before or breaking 100 or breaking 90. I mean, these are the genuine celebrations along the way that you can't help being caught up with. Absolutely. First birdie, first par, all of that stuff. everything. I mean, it's first everything. And it it reminds you about the number of firsts and things that you've had in your time, but you can't help but celebrate them with them. And the fact that, you know, they've gone out and, you know, they'll buy a GPS unit or they'll buy a rangefinder or they'll buy this putter or I needed an extra wedge. Again, getting back to the handicap point, irrelevant to what marketing is telling them they should do, this is not a marketing thing. This is it's just a, pa- a passion. passion. Maslow, eat your heart out. This is, this is all, you know, forget needs. This is all about wants. And golf is a game of wants and, and love it. But just the eyes lighting up, it is such a good game. Uh, and everyone who's on the verge of embracing it or has embraced it or needs to re-embrace it and, and fall in love with it again, remind yourself of, of how much joy you got to have it the first time you hit a club out of the middle. And we need to get behind that, don't we? Really pushing people to get their, get that passion back in their games because it's only going to be more fun for everyone, everyone involved. Just remind them why you love the game. What about game changers? Is there something that you can think of that might even help with what we're just talking about with the passion side of things? Well, it is. It's actually um, it's sharing the game. And we see, and Damien, you know, we all have little bugbears. And one of my major bugbears has always been hashtag, or as you like to claim, I say no deal because I just crossed my arms because I haven't quite worked out the hashtag sign yet. Um, I am Gumby. Um, Gumby Philip. But is is so Grow the Game's become a, a marketing hashtag. It became just a throwaway line. Oh, yeah, Grow the Game. Like, here, here we've got a new driver, hashtag Grow the Game. Or here, come in, we're on sale this week, hashtag Grow the Game. Do you think people just like saying hashtag? I think they love saying hashtag. But I think it's one of the challenges when you when you come up with a, a tag that is designed for a purpose as opposed to designed for a, a send-off. And so growing the game is critical. Hashtag Grow the Game. And I do like saying hashtag as much as I hate hashtags. Hashtag grow the game has just become, uh, we'll just whack it at the end of everything. So my, my thoughts really about, about growing the game and about sharing this new player passion is about, is about playing the game forward or, because I'm a genius, playing the game forward. So play playing it forward. The game forward. So play the game forward. So pass the game on to someone else. So it, my theory is that every year, if every what we'll call golf, I mean, I don't even like the term golf. Everyone who plays golf... Um, and, and let's say more than half a dozen times a year. In fact, even that doesn't matter. If everyone who plays golf of every year introduces someone new to the game, be it by a driving range, top golf if you're on the Gold Coast, indoor golf, 
driving range, backyard, on a farm, don't care. Everyone introduces someone new to the game. Um, and again, what's close to my heart is, is the kids, but also remind someone why they love the game. So, so they find someone who's lo- been lost to the game mm-hmm. and someone who's never discovered the game. And if everyone does that, let's say there's 300,000 members in Australia alone. If every one of those members every year reintroduces someone to the game that the game's lost to and introduces the game to someone new, the game will grow organically and the people who play it will love it. It'll strengthen it for sure, yeah. And then you're getting quality, not just quantity. And, we, and what golf needs is a quality of player and by that I don't mean quality players I no, mean people who love the game for you. what the game is which is everything we love about it as opposed to just a, you know we got to a million people yeah, you know that's fantastic we got to a million people who are all elite athletes who also happen to cycle every Saturday morning and, and they're not going to embrace it there's almost this Statue of Liberty attitude to golf you, you know give us your you're sick you're poor you're hungry you know we'll take we'll take all comers because everyone's quite capable of, of playing and loving everything to do with this as golf. long as they're quick as long as, as long as hashtag speed up the game. Yeah. Well, for me this week, I've got a, a bit of a game changer and it is actually around the, the slow play idea. Look, I know I know the idea of, of leaving the flag in for putting that was introduced last year. What, what are we now? Sort of 10 months into it. I, I know that the whole concept behind that was to help speed up the game and loosen a little bit some of the, the more, the tighter rules and things that we've had in the game. But I think it's failed personally. I actually think this leaving the flag in um, this flag concept because it's what makes it so tricky is you, we get to the first tee and it's our oh, first green sorry and I'm like are you an innie or an outie are you, you want the flag in you want it out and it's not something that you can just declare at the outset and say oh, I'm in for the whole game I mean you could in theory but it's not the way it happens out on the course so I think we need to go back leave that alone go back to flag out on the green let's go let's part if you're playing by yourself sure like don't penalise people per se for it but this whole having to ask every five seconds uh, are you an in are you in for this one are you out for this one I think it really does slow down the game. So you could I'd argue that it, it creates a conversation, though, in that, and we know this because we played the other day and we got to the first green and said, where are we at with the new pin rule? Now, ideally, that's not a first tee discussion because you're then going to alienate some people. I don't mind it on the first putt if the others are approaching the green and you can just get your first putt away if you're miles away. But it was really interesting, the fact that we all agreed to just go, let's go old school. And it was sort of like, yeah, 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 old school, school, yeah, yeah, let's take the flag out, let's have someone tending the flag, and even from the encouragement, because it's not about, the game is not about speeding up every element of it, it's about the person who takes 15 minutes over a putt. I mean, I'm not looking at anyone, Bryson DeChambeau, but it's, it's or people who take 400 hours lining up a 70-yard wedge shot that they then skinny over the green, yeah, JB yeah, Home style. Cross, I mean, yeah. not that I'm pointing any fingers, but it's not about that, it's about playing with a tempo or a pace or matching your pace to the group. And the flag, therefore, is has become an excuse as opposed to something, I, I agree with you, that solves a problem. Yeah, I'm yet to find anyone. I've had this conversation with quite a few people. I'm yet to find anyone who thinks it's been a it's been a positive. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm I'm a fan that they've had a crack at trying to find a way, and they've gone. All right, here's something we can try. So I'm not being critical of the, of the RNA, etc., the USGA guys for coming up with these these sorts of concepts. But I think we need to acknowledge that this one probably hasn't quite worked. That's not bad. Let's go back to as you said earlier. Let's speed the game up by. Let's just place the ball when we have a when we're putting a ball down. No drops. Those are the sorts of things that can. Really Really quick, quicken up this game. Yeah, and and it has been a stance that you've taken. I think from the first round where the flagging thing was just confused. I tried you. to like it. Yeah. I've tried to embrace this thing, and I just can't do it. But the, also the the speed up the game in general, as I say, can't be to the detriment of the game itself. And I think we've we've chosen a 
way that'll take four seconds out of it going. Um, and in fact, as you quite rightly pointed out, in fact, it adds. It's gone the other way. Potentially, yeah. it adds 35 seconds because all of a sudden I'm having an extra conversation. Would you like it in? Oh, I really like it in on short parts. Yeah, but the rest of us don't. And oh, what well, qualifies for I, a short part? Yeah. And what qualifies for your short part? What's the, what's the speci- you know, specificity of it all? Like, this well, is the- for you, a short part is a holdable one, which. Oh, no, I won't go there, but let's just say, you know, you, within you six inches... You'd, Current form, I've got to cop everything that's coming my <laughs> yeah. way. Sadly, that is that is true. Um, but we've had our, our chance to get our hands on some um, pretty nice gear, and we've got a little... We always like to have a bit of a gear effect. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is... Um, I suppose this comes back to what using what you like to use. We've tried out a couple of the new blades that are coming out. Um, they've just come out, the Mizuno MP20s and the, uh, the Ping Blueprint irons, and wow, how good are those? Uh, well, well, indeed, well in terms of look and well in terms of attention to detail and well in terms of hitability. But we, I mean, we have this running gag, even with the new MP20s, underlay, underlay, with the, the layers of feel, as Mizuno are talking about it, with the copper underlay, of which we've you know been lucky enough to get our hands on the samples and have a look at how the copper is actually presented. But it's interesting that uh, when Mizuno were, were having a look at this copper underlay and this idea of feel, how they blind tested two exact same head shapes, uh, and one had the copper underlay and one didn't, but the pros obviously at the Velspar Championship, I think it was. We're not told what the difference was, and 100% of the pros who hit... Picked the copper. The copper the said, thing. we prefer the feel of it. Nothing that I've seen coming out of Mizuno suggests they know exactly why. And that's what I love about the intangible of club design. Like, they can't work out a... Like, they'd love to have a marketing reason why, and I think the marketers are probably having more fun with it than the designers, because the designers are there saying, actually, we can't see sound resonance and we can't see any data that says this should feel better. It's just pure anecdotal. It just feels better for the reason, and we... And we, and we, we found that ourselves, didn't we? We, we, you know, all three models of them, and the feel is the... It just jumps back at you. The, the, this, these things are fantastic. They are, and not only the shaping the attention to detail and there's some there's some elements which which I think both Mizuno and, and Ping have in common with the blueprint is they're both set out to create what they feel is the archetypal blade hence the name blueprint or, or, and the MP, MP20 particularly the, the muscle back um, they've gone out of their way to find the ultimate blade shape and finish and feel and all these other elements but they're just a joy they're a joy but this to is I wish more people would play with blades I, how, how many people here's a question for you how many people are not playing blades because they're talked out of it because on a bad day it's a hard club to hit because um, it's two to four percent of people, roughly, isn't it? That play uh, it would be. Blades. It would be less than that. I would have to think. Would be using. Would be using blades. And there's always, again, there's always an excuse. Oh, but your bad shot. But your bad shot. Yeah, but the joy of a good shot. And I think everyone looks for different things. So you and I would be. Let's pursue the joy of a good shot. I would. Lo- I would always prefer a model that gives me a little bit more help. Whereas you are pure. But look how well the good shot went. As opposed, there's to- no better feeling in golf for me than than absolutely nutting a blade. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And again, we saw that with every one that we hit well, and particularly from your point of view, because you hit them better than I do. I mean, you hit blades better than I do. When we watched you uh, and watching you hit ball after ball, there was just that little cheeky smirk, that cheeky grin. We just knew that you'd nailed one. Um, and that's the beautiful thing about it. And whether it's the copper or whether it's the, the feel, I mean, Mizuno haven't gone back to copper since, oh, they did a model in Japan, but the, their most famous one was the TN87, the Tommy Neck Jr., the TN87 blade. That's like 30 years ago. Yeah, which would be, which, well, it's over 30 years oh, so ago. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, so you know, they, they tend to use that year as the model name. 
I should know that by now. But the fact that there was, you know, if you ever find an old set of blades from a long time ago, sometimes you'll find where the wear mark starts to have that, that coppery colour. And that was the iconic, really the iconic Mizuno blade was the TN87. And really they've gone back to the future by, by doing it. And so the question we threw around was, so where did copper go? And all we can think is that it was cost. I mean, we don't, we, we haven't asked, asked the yeah, question. That's all we can, I mean, we're assuming obviously, but yeah, that, that's got to be where it's surely. Well, it has to be. I mean, there's no, but potentially if there's no science to it, then maybe it's because the science didn't make sense. And this is the point, getting back to our original discussion around handicap. There's a point sometimes where science is really nice and we try and be as objective as we can be with data, but a little bit of gut feel, a little bit of what would happen? And, and I'd love to be up there with the boffins because you could just say, you know, what would happen if we whacked a bit of copper under here? Well, I'm very much on the on the track of wanting to get more people at least practicing with these or just trying them out and possibly putting them in there because I think there's a lot of people who are missing one of the absolute joys of golf and that's playing with some blades or hitting hitting a nice blade. And I think more people are able to hit them than we realize. Yeah, then you give them credit for it. I, I, I agree with that completely. Uh, what about trending this week? I've, I've seen a few things that are out there. I reckon you're going, I think I know where you're going, but let's let's see. What have you seen? Well, ahead of the President's Cup, my question or my concern is always, how seriously do the US players take it? Now, we know the international players appear to take it relatively seriously, even though international as a team is quite obscure, but we love the idea of it and we love the fact that, you know, the first time the international team won was at Royal Melbourne, you know, and there was a real, there's a real vibe in Australia that they're all part of one big family. So we, we absolutely cannot wait for the President's Cup. But I'm on surgery watch. So my point being Tiger Woods and Dustin Johnson have both had surgery in the last uh, week. Well, recently, yeah. Week and a half, let's just say recently. Would they have had surgery ahead of a Ryder Cup? You wouldn't would they, think so, would so you? So two months out of a Ryder Cup, would they have both had surgery, particularly when Tiger's got to make this complicated decision of whether I choose myself or not? Now, I would absolutely say no chance that anything, if there was a Ryder Cup here... No risk at all. There's no risk at all. We're just going to go in, we're going to get through as long as I can walk, as long as I can move. I mean, I, the, play, I played, what, 36, 72 holes with a broken leg. That's right. That's right. Whereas, you know, all of a sudden ahead of the President's Cup, we've got, you know, a little bit of surgery going on, you know, and then you start to wait for the, oh, geez, who's going to be the late pullout, which might make Tiger's decision a lot easier. You know, if all of a sudden, oh, damn, I've done my back or I've done my knee. Um, so, so you're suggesting they don't take the president, the Yanks don't take the president's cup quite as seriously as they probably should? I'm suggesting there are probably a few of them that might say, God, Australia's a long way away, you know, and it's, yeah, it is the middle of summer and, you know, is it going to be hot? And yeah, Royal Melbourne. So there's the draw card of the Royal Melbourne. And we know that guys like Jordan Spieth, when he came down to play the Australian Open in Sydney, um, which really should be in Melbourne, but they played the Australian Open in Sydney. He made his way to Melbourne to play Royal Melbourne and Kingston Heath because he just loves being on his bucket list. The architecture. I mean, he's the same as us. He has dream golf courses. He has a bucket list. Uh, so I think there are a number of players who just know I want to compete. I want to compete for the USA, USA. And then I think there's a number... Well, obviously, a couple who just go, I've got a niggle. It's not a bad, it's only the President's Cup. We're going to win it anyway. I've got enough time. And I'd love to watch Australia or the international team. <laughs> Freudian slip. Um, <laughs> yes, that's right. But it would be fantastic if the international team and friends of Australia pulled their pants down and embarrassed them a little bit. I think that would be awesome. Now, Damien, while surgery uh, and the, uh, the surgery of a couple of the stars might be my bugbear, I think you might have something of your own that's trending uh, that is dear to well, both this, our hearts. Well, I've got something that's really has trended back into golf in a way that it's not really not a positive, Phil. I hate to use the word cheating. 
Cheating or taking the piss? Well, a little bit of both. Oh, Matt Kuchar, I'm sorry, mate, but uh, the effort of Matt Kuchar at the um, European to- uh, Porsche Open in a bunker, they've softened the rules in a bunker to allow us to get rid of some loose impediments, which I think is a, is a really positive step. You know, you've got a leaf behind your ball, you've got a rock behind your ball. Let's get rid of it and make it so it's not so penal for, for all of us. And then the second they've done that, we get a pro take advantage of this. And quite frankly, taking the piss is the perfect way to say it. He's, he's in there retreating each grain of large sand, mind you, Phil. Not that we have large sand. Definitely large sand. It's got to be large sand. If it's large sand, you can move it. That's now a loose impediment. So basically interpreting it as every large bit of sand is a loose impediment that he's allowed to move off. I mean, the commentators at the time said uh, something along the lines of... Uh, if he keeps doing, you know, if he keeps going for a while here, he's going to have it up on a tee. Yes, let's give him a shovel. I mean, that was the And you know that you're starting to push the boundaries when the commentators are, are quite happy to have a go at you. Just to as mock a, you live. As a leader of the game. I mean, this is, this is someone well, who... They're meant to be ambassadors, these guys. They, they are meant to be ambassadors for the game and showing everyone the way the game should be played, both in terms of... And we'll have a go in, at Bryson DeChambeau in terms of speed, Joby Holmes in terms of speed. Uh, and then... But someone can actually come out this and justify it. The and, spirit and, of the game here, Phil, this is what they're... This is is what they're challenging now. In your foursome, that wouldn't hold up. The pub test. I mean, we talk about the pub test in, in Australia again. I mean, this idea of, of the pub test is if you're having a conversation with the mate, is it a bit stinky? Like, is that a bit stinky? This reeks. This pongs. This absolutely reeks. And the reality is, is that the thing we love about the game of golf and the thing that the majority of people love about the game of golf, yeah, there's a lot of rules and regulations, but we actually like that. We like the guidelines and we like the self-governing nature more to the point. So if you think the ball has moved, you call a penalty on yourself and we see all these players over the years who have put their hand up and gone, I think the ball moved, I'm going to call a penalty on myself, which which are then held in really high regard, in really high esteem. Even if you look at, from a cricket point of view, you look at Ben Stokes, you know, in the last, in the fourth Ashes test when he gets that inside edge and the umpire didn't give him out, he walked. And there's a credibility that you've got to love about that. And then you get a bloke like Matt Kuchar, given all the other things. I mean, he's had a bit of a PR. Kuchar's had, Kuchar's had a real brand um, brand issue this year. His, his whole nice guy, most lovable guy on tour kind of thing is really taking a, ba- he's yeah. really taking a so, battering. Caddy Gate. Caddy Gate. Sergio Gate. And now we've got Cheating Gate. And I, it, it's flat out, it, in fact, you know what, it's not cheating. Piss Gate. Piss Taking Gate. It's Piss Gate. We'll come up with something. We will find, um, we'll find a way to trade market. Sand Gate. But the problem is, is that it's within, it's not within the spirit of the rules, but it wasn't illegal. It's not illegal, but it's, yeah, well, he was given, effectively being told, he was told that he could effectively do that. The larger grains of sand. And yes, and when the commentators, just give him a shovel. Someone give him a shovel. You know, give him a shovel and a bucket and get him to actually build the sandcastle while he's there because there was so much movement going on and it's just a bad it's just a bad look it's just a crap act I'm with you on that 100% what do we do for Cooch what do we do traditionally when he's teeing off there's always been that even the the open it was the coo you know I whether wonder whether they just become genuine boos and I wonder whether the golf community will just go you know what we actually we liked you but now we just think you're a cheat and you know get some sandpaper or keep doing what you're doing isn't it funny it all comes it back, back to, to sand. sandpaper it all comes back to sand. But the thing for me that could be that could be the real issue here is: does it, is this going to encourage, disencourage slight changes to the rules? Because the rules committees now can look at it and say, "Well, hang on. As soon as we give any leeway, we're, we're getting. I mean, these are the guys at the top of the game. They're taking the piss. So is he is he going to ruin further advancements for the rest of us, or further you know loosening of the of the really stringent rules? Oh, I think what he's going to do is going to encourage bifurcation of the of the rules. I think he's going to encourage a rule a tour rule. Yeah, uh, and. That won't be necessarily be a bad thing. I actually, I'm probably in favour of bifurcation. Yeah, but but what it, what it w- will do is just say, you know what, guys, you played as it lies now. 
And I'll tell you, the next US Open where someone's got to get up and down over a trap and there's a rock sitting just behind their ball and they then scull it over the green, they'll be able to give Matt Kuchar a little bit of a wave and say, thanks for the legacy champion. Yeah. And by the way, I'll pay my caddy 5%. That was an absolute nightmare. But moving on from nightmare, let's get to something that's a bit more sort of dreamy, Phil. Hey, look at that. Is that a segue? I love that, Damien. You're really becoming very, very good at this. I want to talk about a dream course that I've I've seen a lot of photos from, um, mind you, from David Scaletti. So these things are as pure as they get. But Teeth of the Dog over in the Dominican Republic. Have you seen any images of this I'd place? I thought they'd just post baseball over there. No, this this would this is a dream course. I have to get there at some point. Hopefully we all get over there as a golf baron's journey. But this place, you, have you seen the images? I, I haven't. What is it about it that, that struck you? What, so, what is it? On, it's the, the coastal look, obviously. So along, I'm always someone who loves playing along the coast. Um, it, it gives me something to distract from the fact that I'm in rubbish probably wherever I am. The whales don't enjoy it so much, though. No, no, they, they don't love it. This place is, the condition's unbelievable. It's a Pete Dye course from memory, so you know it's, well, you know it's going to be difficult, but you also know it's going to be breathtaking. You're in the Dominican Republic, so you've got, there's going to be some some sort of relaxation there, surely. Some some cigar moments. You do maybe, like your, Maybe you know a couple cigars. of rums. Yeah, yeah. There's a com- there'll be a common theme amongst your dream golf courses, and it's going to come back to alcohol and cigars. I'm sure of it. I'm just saying that it would be. It's quite a relax. Well, that's why. That, that's one of the thing, beautiful things about golf is you're on a, an outstanding strip of land, a unique strip of land, and you can relax and enjoy it, um, and then get angry at, at hitting far too many balls. But that's mine. I'm absolutely going to get there. We did. Um, I did an interview with Dave, and we touched on it as well. Yeah, if you check out uh, Baron's Life, I've got some photos in there uh, of how good this place is and I promise you that will become a dream for many people because it's not it's not often you think about the Dominican Republic when you're thinking of golf not often it was actually never until this conversation (laughs) there we go what about you have you got something something that's had you up and about Um, look I'm far more local on this one and it's very dear to my heart in that in that every year a group of us go away playing golf and we make the journey up through Heathcote up to Rich River Um, now Rich River is a great facility on the Murray up on the Murray uh, up on the Murray in Echuca in um, well in Moama um, in New South Wales, so just over the, the Victorian-New South Wales border. But there's a couple of things about it, and the golf courses are, are really nice and fun and playable and a great facility to stay there. But why it is the dream and, and the journey for me is not only the golf and the comradeship, but there's a restaurant at Moema Bowling Club that could be uh, as good as anything that exists in regional uh, Australia, if not anywhere in the world, I'm going to declare it. And it's called The Junction. And anyone who is going to Echuca needs to make sure that they go and have a meal at The Junction at Moema Bowling Club. Because initially you'd think, well, if I'm going to a bowls club, I might get a chicken parma. I might get a chicken parma and a bowl of wedges. <laughs> yeah, that, well, you would because it would make sense. And give me a pot. The Junction is about as close to fine dining as you're going to get with a menu that is to die for and it has become a absolute go-to whereby the conversation the day before we go there is all about oh we're going to the junction tomorrow night so it's going more to the about junction the food than night. it is the golf but it's the food and the wine and the, but the golf is what brought us all there and that's why I love Rich River it is the golf brought us there and, and look ideally on the way up we'd not only go to the Heathcote Bakery go to Gaffney's but we'd always we'd all, we could also play a Heathcote Golf Club which is a cracking uh, another cracking country court not to mention some some pretty nice wineries around there Phil There's you need some, to get into some of the, those Heathcote sure as That's right, but what a beautiful journey in itself. But to get to get all the way up to Rich River in, in the middle of summer, the middle of the heat, and then to have this gem, not only the golf course, not only the comradeship, um, but then to go to the junction at Moema Bowling Club. So you're, dream- you're dreaming about this. When's the next one? Uh, the next one, I mean, not that I'm counting down the days, but it's December 27th at uh, 
uh, 7.45 at Gaffney's Bakery in Heathcote is the kickoff, and then away we go. But it is just, it, it makes it, and this is the food. We keep talking about the golf being a conduit, but that actually can bring everything together, and it's golf and food and friendship, um, which are all the reasons that we, we play golf, and this has it in spades. So, yeah, I'm going local. Nothing extravagant other than the food. Well, guess what, Phil? It is that time again. It is time for one of your wonderful, never boring history lessons. You don't like my history lessons, but I happen to be very fond of them, Damien, because I like the history of golf and I like where golf's come from. We all do. We all do. What have you got for us this week? Well, we referred, when we're talking about gear effect today, we're talking about the MP20 iron and and the iconic Mizuno iron of the TN87, Tommy Nakajima, 1987. But this is not about 1987 with Tommy Nakajima. This is about 1978 with Tommy Nakajima. Oh, I like where this is going. And it's 1978 at the Masters, and it's a record that still stands today on the 13th hole. I have a feeling this is a record you wouldn't want to have. It's not an ideal record for poor old Tommy, who was a gun. I mean, he was an absolute guru. But even great players have bad holes, and poor old Tommy's bad hole was the 13th, the iconic 13th par 5 at the Masters. Wonderful hole. Now, Tommy obviously wasn't going that well on the hole, and I haven't seen the video of it. I've only read about his experiences, but his fourth shot ends up in Ray's Creek. So, you know, he's already going to struggle to make he's already going to struggle to make par. But yeah. Tommy being the great player that he was and with the Mercurial short game thought, I can hit it out of here. I know I'm the not feeling. Take a drop. I know this feeling. Yes, you do know the feeling. And it it turns out that everyone can be as silly as each other from time to time. So his fifth shot pops up. That's a good result, the fact that it popped up. The bad result was it landed on his foot. <laughs> Two stroke penalty. So he's now lying seven. <laughs> Goes to hand off the club to his caddy because he needed to change clubs, probably, and also to explain his stupidity. Club slips out of his hands, hits the creek, two-shot penalty. How's that a sh- Oh, because it's... Because uh, he's club granted his club in the hazard. hazard. Oh, no. So poor old Tommy is now playing his 10th shot. <laughs> Double figures. Over the green in 10, chip, two putts, 13, Tommy, dip the hat. Tommy's pain wasn't actually to finish there because later in the year at the, um, the Open Championship at the old course, Road Hole, the famous bunker. Another, another iconic hole. They did nickname the bunker after Tommy's third round experience as the Sands of Nakajima because he did manage to... Uh, yeah. He did manage to leave four shots. So it took him four attempts to actually get out of the road hole bunker um, when he was in contention in the third round at the Open. So Tommy, 78's not his favourite year. Four shots in the bunker. The double well, it took him four to get out, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But he, not a great year, but great player. Great player. And that was the uh, seamless tie-in, I think, really, to the Mizuno discussion we were having earlier on about the uh, copper underlay. Um, Tommy Nakajima, absolute guru, just happened to have a bad year. Uh, and, and Damien. Phil. Here endeth the lesson. Fantastic. That's certainly a lesson we can all relate to. So even the best can have absolute mares out there. Meltdown. Meltdown city. But um, anyway, that, that concludes another delightful um, Tenuous Links podcast, Damien, and I think the name is going to be more and more apt the deeper we get into I think this. We're, I think we're proving that it is. Really appreciate you coming in again, Phil. It's been fun. We'll do this again next week. Can't wait. You'll be around. Excellent. Um, in the meantime, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe over at golfbarons.com to get all the other stuff and probably understand half the things we're talking about on this cast. Uh, we'll Until next week. We'll next uh, see you then. Thanks for listening.